This show is brought to you by Objectivity Squared Wealth Management, helping families strategize, execute, monitor, and communicate their financial decisions. Learn more at objectivitysquared.com. Call to Adventure, hosted by Alexopoulos and John Duckworth, an exploratory conversation about facing the unknown, an opportunity to discuss those pivotal moments that illuminate new paths and reveal deeper purpose and meaning in our lives. We are here again at Ohm Charleston 96.3 to host our 14th episode of Call to Adventure. I'm Alexopoulos with my partner in peace, John Duckworth, and we have as our guest a dear friend, Chris Hansen. Chris is a celebrated filmmaker, a voracious reader, an avid listener to music, an artist, an educator, a spiritual seeker, and a lover of the outdoors. Suffice it to say, he is an adventurer of the first order, both in the outdoors and in life. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you for that kind introduction. I, I must say, most all of our guests are avid readers, but looking through the list of books and authors you hold dear is inspiring, and I, I think just for our audience are worth listing. You broke it down into most meaningful fiction, which included Herman Hesse, Siddhartha, Narcissist, and Goldman, J.D. Salinger, Franny and Zooey, and simply put, all of his books. Tom Robbins, Still Life with Woodbecker and Jitterbug Perfume, John Irving, Hemingway, The Sun Also Rises, Kerouac's On the Road, Marion Bradley's Mist of Avalon, Donna Tartt's The Secret History. Went even further and listed most <laughs> meaningful nonfiction, including sure. Joseph Campbell and Bill Moyers, The Power of Myth, Lao Tzu, Ta Te Ching, David Bales and Ted Orland, Art and Fear, and the Bhagavad Gita. My first question, and we'll get into some of the books that are currently on your nightstand, but how do you find the time to digest that amount of literature? I mean, it's, it's clearly a practice of, of, of yours on a daily basis, or, or when do you read? Well, it's funny because I, I wasn't a reader out of the gates. And when I was young, I had a hard time with English in English classes, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade. Didn't know the difference between adverb, adjective. It, huh. it came very slowly. Ninth grader, not a very good writer, not doing well in school but I was lucky to have a lot of really good English teachers and it just clicked my junior year in high school. And then um, went to college and didn't know what I was gonna major and I think I declared history and I had a quick reflection over the summer thinking, why do I wanna study history? You did so poorly in history in high school. And I really got down to what my interests were and I ended up majoring in uh, English and art. Hmm. And so I think I started reading recreationally uh, in high school and, and books like uh, Still Life with Woodpecker had a huge impact, like a book that I just picked up that a friend recommended and then really like expanded my mind, blew my mind. So all those books have been over 
many years. Um, you know, there and I go in and out of phases of reading. I mean, I just finished uh, a, a good book, uh, Steve Martin's uh, "An Object of Beauty." Oh yeah, I read which that was one. a great quick read. Mm-hmm. And uh, but before that, I don't think I. You know, I've been reading a lot of the kind of more spiritual books that You've really been reading the Bhagavad Gita a lot, right? Yeah, that that was yeah. that blew my mind. And yeah. then uh and then The Power of Now. Okay. Which, Eckhart Tolle. Yeah, which yeah. which I'm slowly going through. You read one page and you're like, yeah. Wow. Takes yeah. some time. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's the interesting thing about those sort of books is usually you can just flip them open to any page and and then you can spend the next week thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, when, I, when I've talked to many people that I greatly respect and admire, one of their favorite authors always comes back to Tom Robbins. Tell us, I, I, I have not been a, a reader of his literature. Tell us about Tom Robbins. What is it that, well, that blew your mind? Yeah, that blew well, your mind. Well, one thing that's amazing is I finally got to meet him. Oh, that's right. He went up to Appalachian State. With Mitchell. With Mitchell and Farah and... Uh, and got to meet him and and I've been lucky through my life I've got to meet some of my favorite authors and uh, that was an amazing experience and so back in high school uh, the book uh, Still Life with Woodpecker it's uh, it's a book about the moon and love and and he writes these just beautiful things within this crazy story and then he experimented and I found this out when I heard him speak. It was like two years now ago. Um, you know, he experimented with LSD uh, back in the you know '60s, maybe late '50s, early '60s. And he was in New York, and he talks about how like him being in New York really made that a, a much bigger experience. He wasn't out on the West Coast where everyone was doing it. He mm. was kind of on the East Coast and kind of alone doing it. And and so he wrote a lot about things that happen, you know, that the, the experiences that happen from taking that. And uh, so, you know, there are parts of the book that take place inside a pack of camel cigarettes. Like you, you, oh wow, you have to like, okay. go way beyond any sort of comprehensions of how we understand reality. And he's got, you know, he does that in uh, in other books as well, where inanimate objects. Are, are living, breathing They're things with characteristics and can talk and yeah, huh. and 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 you know so there you know I, we, we could go down any one path talk about literature or film or uh, my experience in the outdoors, but you know while I was getting these experiences with with Tom Robbins simultaneously in another parallel universe of my life, I was having the same kind of experiences out in nature, you know, Mm -hmm. where I was looking at trees for the first time different, like, wow, living, breathing thing, real Mm -hmm. thing, you know, and uh, so uh, Still Life with Woodpecker was a huge influence, and then Jitterbug Perfume blew my mind. I read that when I was uh, 19, and I, I ended up, you know, within a year going on a Knowles course, and kind of the combination of those two things, like things I'd read about in the book and then personal experiences that were happening with me just kind of blew my mind open to this A whole other universe. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, some of the quotes that we pass along, you know, often are Tom Robbins quotes and you read one of those and you're just like, wow, so beautiful and yet so all over the place. John, you have a a couple. Anyone in particular you want to... 
Oh, well, I mean, of course, the one that you mentioned right off the bat, which which I think relates beautifully to your, your first call to adventure you talk about with going to camp when you're 10 years old, is, is it starts like this. Perhaps the most terrible or wonderful thing that can happen to an imaginative youth, aside from the curse or blessing of imagination itself, is to be exposed without preparation to the life outside his or her own sphere, the sudden revelation that there is a there out there yeah so when you go to uh camp carolina and brevard at age 10 was that the first moment of you experiencing a there out there in that way or was that just a seed that was planted in you in preparation for going to sleepaway camp for the first time when i was 10 and it was in 1976 which was a huge year historically because it was a presidential election and there were the olympics and it was camp carolina's this boys camp in brevard and you know i went to school with a kid whose mom was from richmond and and i i grew up in connecticut was raised formidable years up in connecticut right outside new york and they were able to draft a bunch of kids to go down to this camp in the South. And, you know, she was a a mom who had the deep Southern accent. And so it was an amazing experience to come into the South for the first time Mm. when I was 10 and meet all these kids from all over with thick Southern accents. Yeah. The the environment's different. and And what ended up happening is I... At Camp Carolina, I went on my first backpacking trips, my first canoeing trips, and you know spent a lot of time out in nature, and had a great time. I mean, there there were lots of other typical camp things like riflery, archery, football, baseball, um, all the other stuff that comes with camp too. But it was you know seven years later, I went on my first course with the National Outdoor Leadership School. Knowles for short, and I was in Baja, California, and I just really realized, wow, I'm really drawn to being in the wilderness, mm. and these are things that I I got when I was in the 10, 11, and 12. Carolina. Yeah, you know, you 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 refer to yourself as sort of an athlete as a as a kid, and that's how your self perception of uh, was. I, f- I found the same thing, and while that was a beautiful thing for me, I wouldn't take it back. Um, in hindsight, it really sort of limited my awareness of all the other aspects of myself. Did you? It seems like Camp Carolina was the first time where you realized you were much more than just an athlete. Yeah, I, I, I probably didn't realize it at the time, mm-hmm. but a, a pivotal event in my life was, you know, I was captain of my football team in high school, and I blew out my knee playing football, and that changed my life forever because I, I could no longer c- consider myself, you know, one of the top athletes on the team or the captain or whatever. Um, and as a result, I had all this energy and didn't really know where to put it. And mm. just by coincidence, I happened to be taking a uh, drawing, painting, and sculpture class in high school. And so I kind of transferred that same energy into the arts. Hmm. And so my junior year in high school was was a huge transformation as well, which I only realized in hindsight. It's one of those classic moments where I, I had a similar thing. I blew out my left knee, the ACL reconstruction. And uh, yeah, it's a, a traumatic 
thing to happen, but uh, I wouldn't give it back because there was some real beauty that came from that. It sounds like the same thing, you know. In, in hindsight, you're like, wow, that, that really worked out well for me. Yeah. <laughs> how, how would you, because if, if you think back about all the guests we've had and you, you think about the things that have led to their big calls to adventure, so often they come from tragedy. And, I, you know, not tragedy, your knee, blowing out your knee, but, you know, at that age. Real probably, challenging but, right. situations. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, as a parent w- with kids, we tend to want to protect them from those scenarios, right? To the mu- to, to the best of our ability, and yet, as somebody who's experienced those things and and really realized the beauty of them, like, what would you, be your advice for for those who are scared by those moments? It, there's so many. There's so much wisdom about it, and you know, a quote that comes to mind is, you know, the only way out is through. And anytime you're challenged in life, you just have to get through that experience. And I can, I, I share that same sentiment. I love my daughters so much and, and I want to protect them from everything. But it's really only through these kinds of experiences that your personality is mm-hmm. built and you grow. And so it's hard as a parent it is, to right? yeah. step away and let them fall down. And you know they're going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. You know, accidents are going to happen and things are going to happen. And you just hope that they make it through safely and that it's an injury and not that dramatic. Um, the but, nice thing is, is another thing you mentioned previously in a, in a quote is about, you know, it always, I'm not going to, I'm going to butcher the quote, but somehow it, 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 it always looks like a mess looking forward, but it looks perfect, like a perfect braid looking back. And, and you knowing that now as an adult and a parent, you can, you can more confidently look at your children and know, like, okay, it's going to be okay, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that, that's, that's, I think, really helpful, especially having gone through hard challenges and getting to the other side and thinking, wow, that wasn't only not as bad as I thought, but one of a pivotal, pivotal moment in my life, yeah. potentially. I mean, another uh, sentiment out there is that simple one, this too shall pass. Hmm. And, you know, I'm finding currently, you know, I'm on whatever path of my spiritual awakening and uh and meditation is something that i'm really finding a lot of solace in and a lot of times it's through that practice that will help you get through challenging parts of your day or Mm -hmm. or your life you just have to kind of keep your head down and get through it. There's a certain value to that stillness. I mean, and it just gives you some perspective on, on, on what's happening in, in, in the day-to-day. You know, <clears throat> we always ask our guests about the books on their nightstand. We also uh, ask our guests about the music they're listening to. And I love the way you referred to it. You said, same playlist as always. Jerry Garcia and Grateful Dead, Widespread Panic, Almond Brothers, J.J. Cale, Eric Clapton, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, Taj Mahal, The Stones, The Doors, and The Who. Music has obviously had a profound impact on your life, not just to your ear, but just in the different directions it's moved you. Um, share with us the experience, one of those, back in, what, 84, I think? Uh, first Grateful Dead concert? First Grateful Dead concert. You said you were in, uh, in, in Hartford, Connecticut? <laughs> yeah, I went... I, it, that was a had no idea that morning how that day would go and how different I would be the next morning. <laughs> so, you know, took a, I went to this uh, prep school in Connecticut and the Grateful Dead were playing in Hartford. And so went with 
one of my best friends and my girlfriend at the time. And we went to go see The Grateful Dead and I didn't get it at all. Oh really? I, yeah, I didn't. I I didn't understand the the live music of the Grateful Dead, and I I the whole scene was so outside of anything I'd ever experienced. Mm -hmm. All the the people spinning and and uh, you know dressed completely different, and so I had a great night, but just didn't. I, it, I would reflect back a few years later when I did go to a show that hit home which was in Ventura, California, a few years later with my brother. And then I really got it. But back to 84, we wanted to get as much out of that weekend as we could. So after The Grateful Dead, we decided to go see Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay. And that was another experience that I, the next morning I just thought, I live in a tiny bubble. I, uh, <laughs> like these were things like I'd never seen like so far outside of your normal sphere yeah, I hadn't seen cross dressing dancing people on stage <laughs> you know throwing stuff at the screen and so and that all happened in one night mm. and so uh, yeah that that had a huge kind of I, I love the I love the question. I think John, you referenced it like in in uh, wisdom teachings. You know, from the mountaintop to the marketplace. Uh, you also. We talked with Marcus Amaker, a wonderful poet, musician, uh, a, a who went to some, you know, uh, festivals where, you know, similar experience. And uh, one of the questions was, you know, you get to wear your freak flag there, but what do you bring back from that experience to sort of normal everyday life that's that that's changed? You know, what what, what did you? Was it just as simple as the world was a lot bigger? Or, I mean, what more was there? Well, I, with The Grateful Dead, uh, you know, I had an experience in 87 where I went out to a, three shows with my brother in Ventura, California. And there were tiny little shows at this racetrack. And it, it sounded, it was gorgeous and beautiful hmm. weather and beautiful people and The Grateful Dead. And uh, I had a mind altering experience, you know, with my brother, safe environment with him. And, and he invited me to go on this trip and and <laughs> I took it and and it just it hit parts of my understanding that had just never been tapped before and I don't know it just there was there was a a, a new calm with hmm. how everything was playing out it it just I, I, it's hard to explain but it was like a mystical experience yeah where I kind of I I no longer feared what was going to happen hmm. and uh, I just came to peace with this this planet Earth and our experience on it through music but like I said I was having other experiences too I had already taken a Knowles course and had been in the wilderness for 30 days down in Baja Mexico and so all these kind of simultaneously parallel experiences played off of one another mm -hmm. hmm. so you know, with the Grateful Dead, I ended up, you know, following them for a while. I mean, not the way other people do, but I would travel across country to go see a show. Okay. And yeah. uh, and same with, you know, like all the music we're going to play today, I've seen them all live in concert. Okay. And before I knew about festivals like Jazz Fest or... Bonnaroo or... Yeah, all those great festivals they have in Telluride, you know, a great week of music for me back in college is I saw Pink Floyd on Thursday in Cleveland, Ohio, and then jumped on an airplane and then went and saw the Grateful Dead uh, Saturday and Sunday. 
and then came back to Ohio and saw this local band called the Janglers like on Monday and it was this oh, wow. four Trifecta. day run <laughs> pack it and, in and Rolling Stone you know there, there's been all this uh, resurrection with the Grateful Dead with their 50th anniversary you know tour they rated their top 10 concerts and one of those was one of the Madison Square Garden shows of that weekend that you so, went to yeah, yeah that I went to so nice. Nice. Not that I needed their confirmation that it was a that great was show, but, <laughs> but we all have ego. I was like, yeah, I, I was at that show. <laughs> well, we're going to uh, tune into a great tune, Time, by Pink Floyd off uh, Dark Side of the Moon. And uh, one of the lyrics, amongst many beautiful, kicking around on a piece of ground in your hometown, waiting for someone or something to show you the way. We'll get into that later. Enjoy. The 
tune love yes. listening to it again pink floyd you have some wonderful stories to share about pink floyd well well one just even before i get into my personal story is if you haven't done it you, you should play that album dark side of the moon while you watch a wizard of oz on mute and and you press play right when the mgm line roars 
and it's freaky how queued up it is. If if they didn't do that, it's the weirdest coincidence ever. They had to have kind of cut that album. With that in right, mind. Right. Yeah, with that in mind. I, so, uh, yeah. We were sharing uh, off radio, when I was studying film at UC Santa Barbara, We that was a part of our course, yeah. studying the, the, that, that album yeah. with, with that movie. And I taught video to high school kids in Denver, and we spent a class you did. doing that. Yeah, it's <laughs> great. So but, the lyrics of that song were re- really pivotal. Yeah, so I had an experience where I just graduated from college, and I came back grateful that we're playing at Madison Square Garden since I'd been to one of the top 10 shows ever I decided to go to another one and uh, and I came home and I was in my parents driveway and I just graduated from college and I didn't know what I was going to do and I was listening to that album and those lyrics hit me for the first time hmm. and again it was only in hindsight that it made sense but that next day I ran out I, I concluded you know I want to be a Knowles instructor what do I need to do to get there you know so I ended up applying for a job at Eastern Mountain Sports like a retail sports store to sell gear so I learned the gear and then my first day there I met a guy who was leaving to go take a EMT course at a place in New Hampshire and uh in order to teach in the wilderness you need advanced medical oh yeah you know training so I found out about this course up in New Hampshire called Solo. So I worked EMS for three months and then I went up and took this Solo course. And then when I was up there, I met a bunch of people from Outward Bound, from Hurricane Island Outward Bound. And my plan was to go off and take the Knowles Instructors course, but they all convinced me, well, why don't you work for Outward Bound this summer and get the experience and oh, nice. and, uh, and we'll get you a job and, and you'll make money. And I thought, oh, that's a great idea. So I ended up working for Outward Bound that summer with a juvenile delinquent program where I have some crazy stories about that. And then while that was happening, I got offered a job uh, at the Lawrenceville School in Lawrenceville, New Jersey. And prior to that, I thought I wanted to be in the wilderness or you know teach at a school in New Hampshire or Colorado. And Lawrenceville is right outside Princeton, you know, right outside New York City. But the the job was just, it was too good an opportunity. It was to teach art and to coach ice hockey, you know, two passions of mine. So I realized that the opportunity was too great. So, you know, through this song, I love how playing, that works. you know, in, in my parents' driveway in, uh, in 88, you know, it- It started it, this whole new course. The next four chapters, the next four chapters ended up being, you know, played out. Yeah. And at the yeah. time, I had no idea. It's great. But, I mean, we talked to Kate and Evan about this too. The way a, a song can recall a memory like no other, you know, if it, if it can really take you right back to that moment in the car, in your parents' driveway. And then, of course, this whole series of other events comes, you know, spewing forth out of that, that, that moment, right. which is really cool. I love how that, how that works. And what a great song to have that memory attached to. Yeah. Um, well, and speaking of teaching, um, what you were teaching at Lawrenceville was killer. I mean, you say you helped design this course about rivers where you're studying books all about rivers. And how did that happen? Yeah, I was, you know, I was the new guy in the art department. And so the head of the art department threw me this course. You know, he okay. said, you're going to teach this interdisciplinary course and you're the art teacher. There'll be an English teacher, a history teacher, a science teacher, and you'll take in all these oh, classes okay. of 10th graders. And they had another course like that called, you know, Greece and Rome or something. And so 
I was teaching it the first year and everyone was really uninspired. All the teachers were kind of uninspired. And then that spring break, I went out to visit my brother who was living in Telluride. And again, I crossed the Colorado River. I'm alone in the car. I'm, I'm on the road, Jack Kerouac on the road. Right. And, and I came back just inspired. And I said, I'll take over this course. Okay. I can make this course really cool. And I had just read Siddhartha by Herman Hass, which is all about him finding himself by the river and the holy yeah. home of the river. And and there were all these movies, you know, that you know, like Heart of Darkness, which became, you know, which was loosely or, well, no, completely. Uh, Apocalypse Now right. is based on Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. So I was like, we mm -hmm. can show, we can read Heart of Darkness. We can read Siddhartha. We can watch these movies. We can watch, we can watch Deliverance and we can watch uh, The River's Edge and we can watch, you know, all these movies. And then, Lawrenceville is right near the Delaware River where Washington crossed the Delaware oh, yeah. River to, you know, the, the major military tactic to win the Revolutionary War. So it's like we'll study water issues out west and, and in Colorado and we'll study, you know, the Delaware River. And the difference and, between the first time you did this and the second time, students were engaged in this bit? Yeah, and, and yeah. then I got to incorporate other passions of mine like journal writing. So I got okay. the kids to write journals and and I knew that, that you know, it, it, with minds opening like parachutes, like if I, if they would just follow the curriculum and read and watch the things that I was presenting or we were presenting, then there was a good chance that they would probably come out with a different perspective. And so I was able to incorporate things like the Ganges River. And Well, I and, went through and I was looking at Siddhartha again and, and, and uh, pulled a quote out that, that related that I thought was really nice. He says... Uh, have you also learned that secret from the river, that there is no such thing as time, that the river is everywhere at the same time, at the source and at the mouth, at the waterfall, at the ferry, at the current, in the ocean and in the mountains, everywhere, and that the present only exists for it, not the shadow of the past nor the shadow of the future. Yeah. Great stuff. Good you know? stuff. And so you're, you're, you're teaching, you're doing... Knowles as well, and uh, and and suddenly you and your brother decide to 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 do something completely different. Yeah, so I left Lawrenceville and and worked for Knowles full time and did that for three years. And you you asked me before coming in, was there any time you turned down a call to adventure? And there probably one time, like I I could have probably gone pretty far into the Knowles world. I could have, okay, you know, if I'd kept on the track, I'd probably still be there and running a branch. And you really enjoyed that then. That was, that I, I was, loved yeah. it. But my brother and I growing up, you know, so another parallel kind of universe over here, we were really into, uh, we, we were raised on uh, Saturday Night Live and skit TV and, and National Lampoon and records. Like, that's not funny, that's sick. And, you know, we had this uh, sense of humor that we, you know, really pulled from SNL and, and, we were like one of the first families that got like a Betamax and, and a video camera. So we started making these skits when we were really young. And we have a couple uncles that are in the entertainment business out in Los Angeles. So the same way if you grow up in a family with a doctor or a family with a lawyer, you know, you think it's achievable and you can go for it. And so we, oh, yeah. we just early on were like, we're going to make a movie. We're going to make movies. And, <laughs> and so, you know, at that point in our lives, my brother was living in Telluride, Colorado, and I was, you know, working for Knowles. And we had been talking, telling everyone, we're going to make a movie, we're going to make a movie. And then 
it just kind of came that time, like we gotta either make a movie or stop talking about it. Cause we look like a bunch of chumps if we're just like, yeah, we're gonna make a movie. So uh, my brother came up, I was living in Lander, Wyoming at the time and I took a month off and he came up and we just kind of laid it out. Like, let's write a script. And if it's not any good, we can quit on this dream. And and but you said when I when when I was reading your your uh, responses to some of our questions that uh, that everything was pointing in this direction. You know, from the Grateful Dead lyrics you were listening to to the books you were reading, the films you were seeing, you were just being bombarded by like, do this and do it now, uh, which I thought was so great because when I'm thinking about you know, I think so often you know people talk about the universe you know talking to you, but so often it is actually happening if you're just open to hear it. And, and, you know, clearly you uh, seem to be put yourself in a position to be open to hearing it. Like, yeah, this is the direction I should go. Not necessarily why, just do it. Well, as you know, I love the name of your show is Call to Adventure. And the, the power of myth w really did have a huge impact oh, on, yeah. on how I perceive things. And there's a great, you know, DVD series where Bill Moyers is right. interviewing Joseph Campbell and you can get it on CD too. And I've, I've heard those dozens of times. I just replay them. I mean, I haven't heard them in a few years, but, and a big Joseph Campbell saying or quote uh, is follow your bliss. So yeah. I heard that like right at the right time. I, I heard that quote, you know, when I was 22, 23. And then I just took it as like a mantra, like, yes, just follow yeah. your bliss. Just do the things you love to do and then you'll figure out how to make a career out of it or whatever. And if nothing else, you'll never have regrets that you didn't do what you really wanted to do. Yeah. You so. know, the, the, the fascinating thing is I think, you know, as you, we're in our youth, uh, that's sort of uh, applauded, easier to do. You know, uh, as you get older, people's like roadblocks come up. Well, I can't, I, I'd love to do that, but I can't, I can't do that. You know, we'll get into this throughout the conversation, but you've continued that path even at this, you know, 20 years past, I think, which is, uh, which is really wonderful. Um, yeah. Jumping I mean, off into the unknown. Yeah. Some of that, you know, I was blessed with some parents that gave me the freedom to pursue those things. And so that was a blessing because some people have very strict parents and you're not doing anything else. Like it's harder to break this away. This is the direction you're going. In, yeah. in certain mm -hmm. families. And I was lucky to have, you know, a less strict family about things like that and yeah and at times it's so scary like it's this, this you know uh there's a, a saying about you know where you you have to let go of the trapeze bar mm. and you know you're free falling and, and you don't even see the next one coming up and and mm. then suddenly it comes into view and you grab it so i left the last trapeze bar a while back i mean i feel like sometimes i'm still looking for the next trapeze bar like i still feel like i'm free falling not really sure what's next but you, and you go through phases and peaks and valleys and there are times that are darker and harder. Yeah. And then, you know, and then you come back into the light. And there's so many Grateful Dead lyrics. You know, I do have to say that in 92, I went to a show in Philly that disgusted me. And I was like, I'm not following the dead anymore. And and then Jerry Garcia died three years later. And I was like, oh, well, that's that. And uh this 50th anniversary tour kind of resurrected my memories. Like, oh no, I, you got a lot of really good things out of the huh. dead. I mean, I've been listening to them the whole time, but the, the scene turned me off and I went off tangent right there. Ah, it's all right, man. Well, I mean, we could we could go off tangent and forget the fact that, that what we're getting to is the fact that you made a full feature film called Scrapple. Yeah. That, that uh, um, 
uh, was called by the New York Times Babe on Acid. Yeah. Another guy referred to it as probably the best ski town flick ever made. There's a quote here that I wanted to read for our viewers who are unfamiliar with this. Christopher Hansen's Scrapple is a, is completely uncondescending, nearly letter-perfect recreation of a late 60s, early 70s stoner comedy. As such, it's a very strange cultural artifact, though not an unappealing one. In reproducing the rambling tone, scruffy stylistics, and laid-back attitude, and she goes on to mention a few different uh, films here, Mr. Hansen has brought off an artistic stunt on the level of reconstructing Red Square out of toothpicks or building a Lego version of the Mona Lisa. The effort itself is so impressive that it eclipses any qualms one might have about the point of undertaking the exercise in the first place. Uh, classic. Well, <laughs> and, you know, you're making me think of a funny, you know, we, we brought the film, we made the film, we wrote it in 95, we shot it in 96, we edited it in 97, and then we went to film festivals in 98. So it took like four years from conception to completion. And we premiered at Slam Dance in 1998. And a guy from Variety was in there and he hated the film. He must have had to go to the bathroom. Like it just didn't hit him. Didn't work. And he gave us a poor review. And so, you know, we... He'd never been to a ski town, maybe. We held that, you know, bad review for years. We were like, yeah, Uh it's a good movie, but, you know. And then uh, two years later or no, three years later, we screened it in New York City and then the New York Times came and reviewed it and gave it like this amazing review. And so for a bunch of years, like right after that, I took the old review and put it on one side of a piece of paper and then the new review on the other side. And it was a lesson in like, who cares what other people think when you create something artistically? You know, you're going to get bad reviews, you're going to get good reviews. And that was a huge experience, you know, and... You know, so those, you know, and we, we brought it on tour and we self-distributed it through Colorado and stuff. And, you know, financially, I, I wouldn't consider Scrapple a success. However, it's become a cult movie. I mean, there are yeah, people right. in Colorado and, and in the South, because we ended up doing another movie, that um, it's their favorite movie. And that's a huge, you know, kind of a huge accomplishment. It kind of, you know... Oh, it's got sure, a little it's, ego building. Well, like, it's got to warm your heart too. I mean, you put four years of your life into this, and 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 you know, wrote, directed. You, know, you were shooting too, and your brother was acting, and, and I mean, you've put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into this. Yeah, no, it was a uh, it was a great experience. We feel really blessed. Yeah, yeah. but but the filmmaking like didn't stop there, right? Right. You, you did uh, the Earth will swallow you in two thousand. Sure. Yeah, so we ended up, uh, you know, through a series of events. Uh, my brother's such a, a great salesman, and in both of these films, were we were like the perfect combination of mm. of uh, creativity and and salesmanship. And he has all the salesmanship, so his ability to go out and raise money and convince Widespread Panic to make this movie, and then he said, "Hey, you want to do this?" I was like, "Yeah, let's do this." So, so had this amazing opportunity to follow Widespread Panic. Uh, on tour in the summer of 2000 and, uh, you know, make a documentary film about them. And that, you know, again, it's one of those things, uh, as I reflect back, 
like these rock and roll dreams were coming true. You know, grew up, you know, on vinyl, you know, listening to all these different bands and loving music, but not playing music. And then, you know, secretly dreaming of somehow, you know, doing like living a, a rock and roll experience. And then just, it's kind of like, you know, I've learned this through other people. So Wayne Dyer's got these uh, CDs and books about manifesting stuff and visualizing stuff. And it's all the same stuff that's in all these religious books too. Mm. And it's kind of like, you got to put it out to the universe and don't ask for how it's going to be delivered. Don't say, I need this to happen by when. Just say, I need mm. this to happen. Right. And then mysteriously, this stuff happens. Kevin Harrison, who's a good friend of yours and, and a dear friend of ours, talks about being like an inverse paranoid. And like you just, it, rather than being paranoid about what things are going to happen negatively to you, you just you, you manifest positivity by, yeah. by just visualizing those things uh, happening. And, and the universe has a strange way of uh, sending you those things as, as they're needed, you know? Yeah, and you know, I'm so amazed. Like where I am in my journey now, too, it just... These things that were once, you know, brought into my life, you know, through rock and roll and drug culture and counterculture, I'm seeing all those things are in these very religious books. And so now that I'm older mm. and and I'm more open minded to like read, you know, the Bhagavad Gita, which I don't know how that escaped my radar. You know, like in Siddhartha, Siddhartha is reading the Bhagavad Gita, you know? But, oh, yeah. But it, it, and I don't know, literally, but he is, you know, he's following like Hindu religion. And somehow that just missed my radar. And it wasn't until, you know, I started getting into yoga and meditation that these books kind of came into my life. And then I'm seeing the same message. Yeah. And in one of the uh, important passages in the Bhagavad Gita is about, uh, 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 you're only accountable for your actions and not the fruit of your actions, and and that's you know it's a it's a it's a great you know it's letting go of the outcomes. Oh, um, great huge. lessons there. That is such uh, a, to, to you just have to give it up to something, give yeah. it up to something greater than yourself, and let go of the outcome, and then you're going to get the results. And that's an amazing way to live if you can yeah. really live that. Yeah, you're blessed. Well, you know, we want to, uh, of course, after talking about the widespread panic. Uh, documentary. We've got to play some Panic here. So we've got Surprise Valley queued up from the Till the Medicine Takes CD. And before we hit it, I, I want to read something really quick about Tom Robbins because it connects to you making these films. He's talking about artists and, and your favorite author here saying, maybe they just set out to make something significant in a roundabout sort of way. But it's not like setting out to make something particularly practical or useful. For one thing, it's more like play than work. On the other hand, they don't have a whole lot of choice in the matter. The good ones make art because they have to make it, even though they probably won't understand why until after it's already made. But how do they know what to make? Now, that's dictated by their vision. You mean it comes to them like in a dream? No, no, it's seldom that dramatic. Listen, it's really simple. If there's a thing, a scene, maybe an image that you want to see real bad, that you need to see, but it doesn't exist in the world around you, at least not in the form you envision, then you create it so that you can look at it and have it around or show it to other people who wouldn't have imagined it because they perceive reality in a more narrow, predictable way. And that's it. That's all an artist does. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Enjoy. So let's hear some widespread panic.
Love that band. Uh, Mitchell Davis, good friend of both of ours, all of ours, really, uh, who you ventured off to see Tom Robbins, big widespread Panic fan. Yes. Uh, He's got a widespread cover band. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Yeah, he played uh, the, the Earth... The Earth Will Swallow You played at the Charleston Music Hall and his band played before and after That's the right. show. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully we'll be able to do that with Scrapple as well. Nice. You know, um, Pink Floyd, going to Grateful Dead shows, traveling with widespread panic, you know, oftentimes some of those youthful experiences uh, uh, include outside, you know, influences, drugs, alcohol. Um, you mentioned living a rock and roll lifestyle and you sort of were. Um, but the, th- this period of growth that you're going through now, you, you made a personal commitment and sort of shed those habits. Um, share with us sort of the lead up to that and sort of how you've navigated through it, because it's a beautiful thing for those of you who know you to, to see where you're at today. Well, I again, I, I'm just lucky a lot of things are clicking into place and... You know, the stuff that I'm reading and learning and, you know, I, I was reading Buddhist stuff back, you know, in college and and Taoist philosophy and, you know, I have an uncle who's a Buddhist and stuff. And now I'm circling back with a lot of that and, and also stuff that I've learned, you know, from Wayne Dyer and other like... To, in Ram Dass you mentioned as well. Oh, yeah. Ram Dass, a huge influence. Like he's one of those guys that you know, was out there with Timothy Leary and right. and taking all these, you know, acid trips and then, you know, found, you know, Eastern religion and realized that, you know, if you want to make this connection to like a higher power, you kind of have to like clear the airwaves and, mm. and, you know, we all want to feel good. You know, we all want to get high. And, you know, I've just recently found more, you know, there, there are ways to do that where you don't just have to do the quick, easy, have a drink, you know, smoke something or whatever. It's like there are other ways to achieve that um, that are natural, you know, like they they offer an ecstatic dance here, you know, over in Mount Pleasant at a, at a place where I practice, which, you know, the Andrea uh, and, and, and Jeffrey are two huge spiritual gods for me right now. And uh, so there are lots of other ways Like you kind of have to clear the way to kind of help receive those higher messages. And it sounds pretty heavy and all that, but... Uh, but like when, when you step outside of the path that you're on, and, and so I'm just thinking sort of socially as, as one example, and you go down that different path, which has clearly been one that is, is uh, paying big dividends on all levels. Um, there's friction with that because the the who you are and who you were are no longer one and the same, and and I, I find that sometimes those who do that, who have the courage to do that, uh, it creates a lot of friction for those left behind. Have you found that for well, you, or or is that how have you dealt with that? Well, I mean, I know that it's, um, I know that the last few years have been a mixture of yin and yang you know like there's been some darkness but a little bit of light in it and there's been some light with a little bit of dark and you know I've just been lucky to kind of things came to me you know kind of I, I really believe in that if you kind of open yourself to the experiences coming to you and so you know I'm just traveling on the path and I don't know where I'll be five years from now and uh, I, 
good things are happening as a result of kind of putting some stuff away. Like, yeah, you mentioned uh, uh, that you examined the relationships in your life, started rigorous yoga, stopped watching TV, changed your diet, stopped drinking and drugging, and you started meditating as well. And when I, I look at a quote from Ram Dass, and he says, the quieter you become, the more you can hear. And, and to me, that just connects directly with what you're talking about. I mean, all, all, quite a few of those things that you mentioned you changed are allowing more space and stillness just to be able to listen. And to our point earlier about you just being able to listen, you know, the quieter you become, the more you can hear. And so, you know, it, it's, it's a great way for you to be able to intuit what comes next. And of course, you know, the wisdom of being able to know, like, you might not know right away. Oh, yeah, there's a great Zen quote <laughs> that's, you know, uh, if you understand things... They are just as they are. And if you don't understand things, they are just as they are. So right. it's just kind of like, you just kind of got to jump into the dance of experience, which is a Tom Robbins saying, you just got to go for it, you know? And that Nike saying, just do it, you know, which was so popular in like right. the 90s. It's just true. You just have to do it. And, you know, combining all these kind of sayings from different people, from Nike marketing to Joseph Campbell, follow your bliss, to things... You know, in all the religious books, they're all the same sayings. They're, it's all, and so it's, it's kind of like one truth, many paths. You know, it's like we can all have a different name for that guy in the sky, you know, but just now I feel that, you know, I want to get to know more about myself, like my true nature. And, and then that comes back to my whole Knowles experience. Like, I'm afraid people now don't have as much ability to get back to nature. So how can you know your true nature if you don't understand nature? Yeah. So yeah. Th these are all things that are just yeah. kind of coming and I'm just taking them and kind of going, I'm walking the path. I'm taking the path less traveled by and that makes all the difference. Yeah, I mean, and you're, and you're continuing to, you know, uh, follow your bliss and take those call to, calls to adventure. You know, uh, it's, it's a lot easier as you're youthful. I think our culture feels that way, but to continually evolve in that way is really uh, a wonderful thing to watch. You, you talk about Charleston and when you came to Charleston um, and you had friends in the beautiful city and all the things that you thought, but that Charleston has really uh, inspired you in so many ways, the people, the city, and really sort of helped you move on that path towards more spirituality. Yeah, I'm so blown away by some of the people that are here. When I, when I came to move to the South and was going to Charleston, South Carolina, I had no idea that I was gonna find, you know, people like Mark Sloan over at the Halsey, or, you know, I've run into this guy uh, who's a, a Hindu monk, uh, Muni Nataraha, and, and I hope I pronounced that right, but you know, and he's, he's teaching like over in Daniel Island, like he'll teach you meditation. And he was in a, in a monastery for 27 years on the island of Kauai. Wow. And, you know, and then the stuff that's going on with, you know, that Andrea Boyd and, and Jeffrey Cohen are teaching and, you know, all these, and then all these young entrepreneurs, like that's exactly why I moved here. You know, people like Kate Nevin and Lee Days and, um, you mentioned Fair Hoffmeyer as well. Yeah, the, the stuff that, that, that people are doing, uh, Aaron Siegel with, with Home Team, like people, the things that people are doing with food and community and the arts and entrepreneurship, 
that are all around my age, it's inspiring and it's a great place to be to pursue those things. You're not lost yeah. in a big city and yet you're not, like I felt, I love Telluride, Colorado. I loved living there, but at times I felt like I was in the enchanted forest, which is a metaphor that came out of uh, the mist of Avalon. It's like, you wake up one day and you're like, wow, you know, life is great and this is so blissful, but like we have one go at it. So coming to Charleston, was an easy decision and it had a lot to do with getting back to nature and I'd spent all this time in Baja, California or Baja, Mexico and the ecosystem here is very similar to that so mm. it was familiar to me it was, you know, on the water and you can see kayak and you can sail and, and But you mentioned when you first got here that that it was a the beginnings of a period of growth that was one of the scariest moments of your life Yeah and, and, and it, what was what, what got you through that? You know, it, it's uh, there was. I had a really dark year my first year here, and and then I came to those conclusions that mm. I needed to. You know, I started. I'd been practicing yoga for a couple of years in Colorado, and and knew I wanted to take a step into more mind, body, spirit. But it was when I started to clear some other things away that I had no idea I was going to come to South Carolina and find some of the most spiritual people I'd ever met. Mm. You know, and same with like some right of when the, you needed it, and some of the best artists and some mm. of the best entrepreneurs here in Charleston. I'm I'm really enamored with this city. Well, it's interesting because I, I uh, there's a great, of course, Grateful Dead quote that you mentioned about I sure don't know what I'm going for, but I'm going to go for it for sure. And uh, when asked about what's next, you mentioned something about trying to tune my intuition in onto my path and my ultimate calling. I don't know what it is, but it has to do with art teaching, storytelling, the natural world, and some spiritual component. It's a, it's a great combination. And of course, uh, I'm pretty excited to see how all that comes together to form some new creative process that you're engaged in and, and happy that you're here in Charleston doing it. Yeah, you know? I mean, I, and I have to say, like, it, it is, it's scary as still F. it just yeah, yeah it is yeah, it's not yeah. all you know rainbows and unicorns it's it's like there's you have to go through some dark stuff that's to the get thing there. i don't think that ever you know i mean having been there before lessens the blow a little bit because you know there's a certain sense that you you can you're strong enough but leaping off the the cliff without a parachute's always a bit a bit frightening yeah I just want to be a student in the next class that you teach. Oh, yeah, right. Cool. You're invited. <laughs> Let's start a school. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, right. What were the components of your school that you... <laughs> well, it was like getting back to nature, journal work, uh, the arts. Like if yeah. I could start an art school in the wilderness and, yeah, right. and get into some of the spiritual stuff like meditation, that, that would be pretty cool school to go to. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sign, me Sign up. us up. Chris, thanks for uh, spending an hour of your time with us. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, we're going to cut out with uh, some of the godfathers of jam band, Grateful Dead, the title of the album, Go to Heaven, and the tune, Althea. Enjoy. Cheers. i
Welcome back, a little Grateful Dead. That's good stuff. Yeah, one of my favorite songs. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, it really is. Oh, I nice. listen to that all the time. Well, uh, what a great guest for Call to Adventure. I mean, talk about somebody who just keeps on jumping into to uncharted waters and uh, finding a way to swim. Uh, Chris Hansen's a perfect epitome of that. I love that in so many different ways. Um, it's yeah. interesting how, how pivotal a role music has played in his life. I mean, clearly. Yeah. Uh, and books. I mean avid, avid, uh, reader. Um, you know, I was just thinking about sort of his, uh, he said, if I could start an art school, journaling and meditation along with being close to nature would be my core curriculum. You know, he, he, he really does, uh, a great ways to really take a deep dive to get to know yourself. Yeah. And, and, you know, you form a relationship with yourself. You understand the world around you so much better, particularly nature. You understand that you're not separate from that thing that, maybe you thought was separate from you. Right. He, you know, I talked about it in, in my segment with you, but just, you know, tr trying to celebrate those moments of uncertainty and sort of move, we talk about that a lot, just moving towards mm -hmm. the fear where you see it, yeah. not running away from it, but moving yeah. towards it. And, and he, you know, he talks about it pretty, you know, Comfortably, you know, there's been light with some darkness, and there's right. been lots of darkness with some light. Um, yeah, and and he's clear in saying this isn't easy, but you don't get the sense that he's afraid of, you know, the uncertainty of where he's at. You know, um, no, he seems really comfortable with it. He really yeah. does. Yeah, I don't know if it's always been that way, but uh, he does seem to have uh, uh, have a real uh, good place right now, and uh, is real comfortable in his own skin. A lot of that, I'm sure, has to do with. Uh, uh, shining a light on all the all the places of his of his own self. Remarkable, really. Getting right? to know himself and and the world around him. And shedding so many yeah. influences that just were no longer serving a purpose. Yeah, he, yeah. he talks about uh, emptying the vessel yeah. or unlearning, yeah. and and the idea there uh, from the contemplative traditions is is not to then fill it back up. Right. 
So just to free up the space, right. you know, and then when you free up that space, you hear more, you understand more, and there's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom. Yeah, and and it really seems like that's that's the thing that he's he's leaving is the mm-hmm. wisdom, mm-hmm. you know. One thing we didn't get the chance to talk about, but he's been a, a real advocate and and really primarily responsible for for a mountain film festival that's coming to town. That's right. I, I, we went to it last year, my wife and kids and, and you and I and Call to Adventure are sponsors of it this year. Share with the audience a little bit about that. Oh, well, the Telluride Mountain Film Festival. It's the Mountain Film on Town series that'll be at the Charleston Music Hall uh, Sunday, February 21st. I think there's going to be two different showings, um, short films, uh, full-length features, and um, it's a celebration of indomitable spirit. Love that. And there's a, a segment uh, focused on the kids, which is, I think, at 2 o'clock, and and uh, adults uh, later in the evening. So Google search that, find out more. Um, Tell your ride mountain film on tour. Yeah. And uh, thanks for spending another hour of your time with us. Hope you enjoyed it. We sure did. Uh, Thomas, thanks for making it all happen. Vicki and Lee, thanks for uh, allowing us the uh, opportunity to share our stories. Yeah. Uh, and you know, uh, one last thing to mention that I almost forgot is if you want a little snippet into some of Chris Hansen's talent, uh, he was instrumental in, in producing a short video about my last exhibition, and you can find that online on my website at jduckworth.com under the exhibition tabs for videos. But uh, yeah, Chris made two pieces for me, and they're really, really beautiful. He's a really talented filmmaker. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Cheers. Cheers. And remember, the road that is distinctly your own has never been traversed. Celebrate the path that is your call to adventure. This show is brought to you by Objectivity Squared Wealth Management, helping families strategize, execute, monitor, and communicate their financial decisions. Learn more at objectivitysquared.com.